This is the 146th QuackCast. The usual business. References are available at sciencebasedmedicine.org. If you wish to write me glowing reviews, by all means do so on iTunes. They lost most of my comments over the last several years. And as always, check out the Society for Science-Based Medicine, sfsbm.org. This particular episode is being recorded outside on a beautiful summer day, so you will hear the occasional extraneous noise of birds, cars, and almost certainly barking dogs. This episode is entitled The Truth. Summertime and the living is easy. I write this in Sun River, Oregon, where I'm on vacation for a week, and hilariously, I thought I would have a lot of time to write a post. Between the hiking and the biking and the golf and the food and the beer, there has been little time to sit in front of a keyboard. There may be no better place to spend a week if you like the outdoors, but they do not have the internet on the hike around Paulina Lake. So while a caramel banana cake bakes in the oven tonight, I have an hour or so to churn out a post. Don't expect much. One person's ethics is another person's belly laugh. But in medicine, ethics are formalized. There are three basic principles in U.S. medical ethics. The first is respect for autonomy. The patient has the right to refuse or choose their treatment. There's beneficence. The practitioner should act in the best interest of the patient. There's non-malfeasance, first do no harm. And finally, justice, yes, I know, therefore, concerns the distribution of scarce health resources and the decision as to who gets what treatment. These are guidelines. They're not mandated. But if you get an ethics consult in my institutions, the above concepts are the framework within which the consult will be completed. Patients can only be autonomous if they are given accurate, truthful information with which to make decisions about their treatments. You can't lie to patients. But we all know how you can phrase an idea that can subtly alter the response. Do you say an 80% success rate or a 20% failure rate? I tend to say both. But not everyone can handle the unvarnished blunt truth. Part of the art of medicine is trying to tell each patient the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in a manner palatable to the individual patient. It is not easy, and I am not certain I always do a good job. What troubles me is how much what is written about scams is, to my way of thinking, not truthful, or shaded in a way to be at least disingenuous. I am not referring to the natural news or Dr. Oz. I long ago realized those are not sources for a reality-based understanding of medicine. I am referring to major medical centers that offer what I would consider misinformation. For example, take the Mayo Clinic, please. I did my residency in Minneapolis at the county hospital. Occasionally a patient would go to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester for a second opinion, get all their tests repeated and come back with the same diagnosis and treatment plan. So we would say, if you want a Rochester sandwich, hold the Mayo. Seeing the work of the Mayo Clinic started my skepticism about big-name clinics and famous hospitals. There are good and bad doctors everywhere. 
Judging from the metastasis of pseudomedicine into many of the prominent medical institutions in the U.S., I suspect that these institutions are more interested in income than science-based medicine. Which brings us to Complementary and Alternative Medicine from the Mayo Clinic, with the subtitle, You've heard the hype about complementary and alternative medicine. Now get the facts. Given that they have an integrative medicine department, I was wondering how they would spin the facts. As always in a scam article, they start with the disingenuous. Quote, nearly 40% of adults report using complementary and alternative medicine. Well, it's actually 38.3%. I guess that's nearly 40 when I was in grade school, I would have been told to round down to 38. I'm surprised they did not round up to nearly 50%. And you can only get to that number by including interventions that are not alternative, like diet and exercise. They used the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine classification. There are five kinds of alternative medicine in that classification. Whole medical systems, mind-body medicine, biologically based practices, manipulative, aren't they all, and body-based practices, and energy medicine. What all these have in common, with the exception of biologically based, which includes herbs, is a complete disconnect from reality as it is understood by the sciences. You would not know that from the Mayo. Homeopathy is described as using minute doses of a substance that can cause symptoms to stimulate the body's self-healing response. Most homeopathic nostrums have zero active substance in them, and the ideas behind homeopathy are, as discussed at length, totally nonsensical. Energy medicine is, quote, invisible energy force flows through your body, and when this energy flow is blocked or unbalanced, you can become sick. Different traditions call this energy by different names, such as ki, prana, or life force. The goal of these therapies is to unblock or rebalance your energy force. No such energy has ever been measured, and none of these interventions has ever been shown to have efficacy beyond bias. Credulity seems to be the order of the day at the Mayo. They continue. Many conventional doctors practicing today didn't receive training in CAM therapies, so they may not feel comfortable making recommendations or addressing questions in this area. Hmm. Could it be that conventional doctors, based in reality and science, know that it would be unethical and fraudulent to recommend therapies that are fanciful delusions with no efficacy? Quote, However, as the evidence for certain therapies increases, doctors are increasingly open to complementary and alternative medicine. While scientific evidence exists for some CAM therapies, for many there are key questions that are yet to be answered. End of quote. What these certain therapies are go unmentioned. And since the NCCAM has yet to support a study that demonstrates any benefit from any pseudomedicine mentioned in the article. And there is the old saying, what do you call alternative medicine that has been proven to work? Medicine. By the way, I am not a conventional doctor. I'm a doctor. I don't need the extra adjective. They then continue with the question, quote, why is there so little evidence about complementary and alternative medicine? One reason for the lack of research in complementary and alternative treatments is that large, carefully controlled medical studies are costly. 
Trials for conventional therapies are often funded by big companies that develop and sell drugs. Fewer resources are available to support trials of complementary and alternative medicine. That's why NCCAM was established, to foster research into complementary and alternative medicine and make the findings available to the public. End of quote. Perhaps there is a paucity of funding for these modalities because prior plausibility would suggest that they are based on fantasy, not reality, and it would be unethical and a waste of resources to study them. Not that the numerous well-done studies that show a lack of efficacy have prevented the expansion of integrative medicine programs into hospital systems like the Mayo. That's in-depth consumer health at the Mayo. I can't see that they have done much to improve since I was a resident. So I would still hold the mayo on my Rochester sandwich. It is not, however, unusual how you can offer, as does the Osher Center for Integrative Medicine at Harvard Medical School and Brigham and Women's Hospital, moxibustion, laser acupuncture, and craniosacral therapy without lying to your patients or being so disingenuous about these therapies disconnect from reality that it amounts to the same thing. Or at UCSF, can you really ethically say, quote, while Ayurvedic places greater emphasis on preventing disease before it occurs, scientific research suggests Ayurvedic treatments have positive effects on a range of conditions and disease. Ayurveda is believed to have positive results in the treatment of diabetes, asthma, attention deficit disorder, osteoarthritis, Parkinson's disease, management of hyperlipidemia and schizophrenia, as well as prevention of certain types of cancer. While I would not be surprised when any intervention has an effect on diabetes and hyperlipidemia, for many patients, any change away from the standard U.S. diet is probably going to be beneficial. Schizophrenia and cancer? Really? And I can find no clinical trials on PubMed to support those contentions. Oh, wait, believe, believe to have positive result. That is the kind of disingenuous statement that, to my mind, is the moral equivalent of a lie. Pick an academic integrative medical program, any academic integrative medical program. Are they fully compliant with truth and reality? If so, I can't find one. My hospital system and the hospital systems in Portland in general are surprisingly scam-free. You have a smattering of acupuncturists, who doesn't, and the university has chiropractors and naturopaths on staff, one of each when last I looked. I had long ago thought Portland was a mecca of pseudomedicine given all our pseudomedical institutions such as chiropractic college and oriental medicine colleges and naturopathy colleges, but instead it appears that Portland is a bastion of reality-based medicine. So I currently lack the opportunity, but it would be interesting for someone to ask for an ethics consult concerning the appropriateness of the information and services offered by their integrative medicine programs. Perhaps you should do that on the year you plan on retiring. And I'm very proud of the fact that I avoided a few good men references in this podcast. Oh, wait, I just made one. Anyway, the podcast is over. Wander over to iTunes and write me glowing reviews. 
and check out the Society for Science-Based Medicine, sfsbm.org. Talk to you next time. Bye.